Stay up on the real culture of Detroit by tuning into the Detroit is Different podcast network weekly. Music, art, business, comedy, and never before told stories from the people of Detroit. You're listening to the Piper Carter podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network. Peace. It's Piper Carter and you're listening to the Piper Carter podcast with Miss Brittany March. What's up, Piper? I'm good. I'm good. Listen, uh, we were going to have this awesome guest and Lisa McCall, but, um, you know, she was going to talk to us about Miss mm-hmm. Aretha. We'd had her scheduled for like months already. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, R.I.P. Aretha Franklin. Yes. Our queen. We love you. We miss you. Um, we appreciate you. Today, they had the viewing um, of her body. I saw that beautiful hearse. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Actually, on Thursday, um, I'm going to be working the tribute concert. Nice. That's going to be at Shane Park. It's got like Stevie Wonder and all these big stars and everything. Um, they really are bringing in like an incredible amount of people. Not even just the quantity, but it's quality too. Yeah, yeah. All the time. I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. can't have, no offense, mm-hmm. Lil Boosie. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-mm. So, yeah, it's everyone who's everyone. So that's going to be like making history. But we were going to have um, Lisa McCall, her. Um, choreographer of like 30 years uh come on and talk to us but she's busy rehearsing and got a lot of stuff going on so we'll find another time to like bring her on she she just has a super incredible life like she's just (laughs) super amazing so we'll bring her on another time so well in the interim you know what time it is yes back to school time yes it is so in the end of Black August, which it's the end of Black August, so detailed to me, so beautifully in the beginning of the month. Yes, this has been an incredible Black August. It has, it has. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> what's interesting too, um, speaking of Black August and speaking of political prisoners, us going into talking about education, mm-hmm. uh, school to prison pipeline. <sighs> Why? Oh my god. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, I what I wanted to do because I'm am a member, I'm a um full-time staff member. Uh that's hilarious that we call it a staff position because it's volunteer. Mm. But I'm a full-time staff member of um Detroit Independent Freedom Schools movement. Okay. Um we are all volunteer organization. Mm-hmm. Um all the, all the teachers volunteer mm-hmm. and all every, everyone volunteers. We have um, all types of supplemental education. Basically, we created it um, so that our young people will have alternatives. Okay. And, um, and not just alternatives, but get some basics as well. Mm. So we have tutoring at, in addition to um, weekly classes. So at this point... Um, our main if campus or location, if you will, is inside of the uh, Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Nice. We have that every Saturday. That's from 10 to 1230 um, in the mornings on Saturdays. It's free. All age groups? There, um, we're doing elementary school okay. um, and middle school. It's funny that you mentioned that. When we get really into the thick of what we're going to talk about today, yeah. I love that's the age group you guys are doing. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's at that location. Mm-hmm. So we also have Shrine of Black Madonna. Okay. They have all age groups. Got you. And then um, we also have the Khan Bookstore in the North End. Okay. Shouts out to Brother Jami and also um, Tawana Petty. Um, so that's where the teens go. Yeah. 
And so, long story short, um, Detroit Independent Freedom Schools movement um, was started by, it came out of um, a rich history of activists wanting to do something. So there's the history of freedom schools, which dates back to 1966 in Mississippi. Okay. And that was through the voting rights and working to get uh, folks in the South registered to vote. And so that's where, you know, educating them around the issues and having them understand how to fill out the ballot Mm -hmm. and those types of Mm. things. But through the process of um, helping them to empower themselves and um, then their voting rights and being able to choose a candidate and being able to speak for themselves um, came lots of volunteers who flooded down there and then just started teaching them all types of things, all types of subjects, right? Very interesting. Very interesting. That's a whole long, long, long history that I've just truncated. Okay. But um, so with that, a couple of interesting things. Our, one of our um, founders for Detroit Independent Freedom Schools movement in Detroit is um, Dr. Gloria House, a.k.a. Mama Aneb. Okay. And she's a scholar she started, I'm going to, I keep begging her to come on here. She She'll doesn't come. like being in the public. I got, I got you. But uh, hopefully I can convince her one day. Um, but she's a scholar. She is an organizer. She literally was at the table helping create all of the African-centered schools that Detroit has had over the years. Um, she's a t- like I said, uh, just a pioneer. Mm. She was in SNCC. She was original SNCC. Um, do you know uh, the history of like SNCC? We're gonna have to do a whole. No, we gotta history, break SNCC down. History, history, okay. So, you know Stokely Carmichael? No. No. Okay, it's okay. So we're gonna go backwards. Okay. okay. So you know about the Black Panthers, though? Yes, I know the Black okay. Panthers. So <coughs> I'm trying to think of where to even start. We'll go. Let's because it's. Because it's like, you know, when you go through points of history. Okay. And then it's like, okay, where do I begin this piece of history? Because then, like, this history opens up another. It's like those eggs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's do, um, since I said SNCC, then let's just do, um, let's just do SNCC, right? Okay. So. And that's an acronym? Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of how to even. Because I'm trying to think if I need to uh, go backwards even more. Yes, I do. So, can yes, I? I'm gonna go backwards. I'm gonna go backwards. Okay. Backwards. Yeah, but but I'm listening. So you brought up the Black Panthers, which I know a piece of their work was doing things inside the community, providing foods, providing uh, some types of education. Is that where are the people that you mentioned in this program? You're mentioning it a branch from the Black Panthers, or is that a bad assumption? So. The Black Panthers, I want to say, were kind of born out of SNCC, but they weren't. Ah, it, it, not necessarily, okay, 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 not okay, necessarily, but okay. okay. So, but not necessarily, but um, so SNCC was the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Okay. So, if you go and you check the Wikipedia's, <laughs> which mm-hmm. you shouldn't do, but just for the sake of trying to get through history super fast, um. You know, you can look it up 
and you know get the entire entire history but um powerful powerful pioneer legend ella baker is one of the right one of the founders and so um when you look at the civil rights movement a lot of times we talk about or most often the conversation is around martin luther king Mm -hmm. and it's presented that martin luther king um was the only leader of the civil rights movement, right? Or, or the was face of it. Or was the leader, right? Okay. So he was a visible part of the movement. But the movement was hundreds, thousands of young people, women, domestic workers, um, you know, students, just all types of people who <clears throat> um, literally were working in, in various forms and facets um, to create freedom, I should say, um, and mobilizing, you know, educating one another. Um, and it's interesting because when we look at the civil rights movement, we kind of look at it at this, as this very, like, like romanticized view. Mm-hmm. And it, and when we look at it, we're like, oh yeah, it was just everyone was kumbaya and like getting along, and but it really what it was was just people who, you know, were fearless, or I, I can't speak to if they actually were fearless, but I'll say they were brave, mm. acting fearlessly, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, standing up. So um, just to go back, so with SNCC. They were um, around the country, okay. various chapters, uh, mostly students. Um, they were mixed. Okay. So, um, and this was their contribution to the civil rights movement? One of. Got you. You know, they were organizers. They taught um, nonviolent civil disobedience. Okay. So when you see the videos and people are being trained to sit at the lunch counters mm-hmm. and be beaten and spit at and da-da-da, they were the ones who did the training gotcha. for people to be able to tolerate those things. Mm. They were the ones who were doing lots of the trainings around what the actions should be mm. around um, wow. like how to organize uh, political education. So they were the ones doing a lot of that. What a work. niche. Like what a very like um, like a very like kind of straight and narrow thing to like attack like to be a part of to teach like because when you see like you just said the flashbacks of all these events the riots people and how they're so called rebellions um excuse me that's okay um you know you see these calm people and you don't think about how are they remaining so calm you don't think about that and in hindsight Mm -hmm. uh many of those people were traumatized got you it's not like they went through those actions unscathed i hear you you know i'm with um it's very traumatizing life being in life-threatening situations having your life you know be be able to be taken away from you Mm -hmm. um or in whatever form you know what i mean yes and then face that because you believe in this bigger thing that's bigger than you you know what i'm saying so so there's that but um part of uh, what they part of okay so during this era much of the civil rights fight was a legal fight 
So when we look at the civil rights era, it wasn't just people marching. A lot of the battles were fought in the courtroom. Mm. And so when we look at the 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 way that um, society changed, it was because these laws changed, these policies changed. Understood. Um, not that in reality, though, people weren't still practicing Jim Crow and aren't still practicing Jim Crow. It's just the laws. But were a lot changed. of the laws were changed, right? Funny you mentioned that too. So, with that, that was where a lot of the work was concentrated okay. on changing these laws. Okay. With that, the philosophy was to be able to get as many people as possible to vote. You get it? Yes. So that's where the um, mobilizing folks to vote. But you have to educate folks. So the philosophy is you have to educate folks on these candidates, who to vote for, these policies, how to vote, how to, you know, how to fill out the ballot. And when we're looking at, um, so I think it was something like 70 to 75% illiteracy rate, right? Mm-hmm. And so they were just going down in droves and really just teaching folk. So one of my mentors, mm. Mama Aneb, the one who helped create the Detroit Independent Freedom Schools movement here, um, she actually went down there to Mississippi. To do that. To do that work. Wow. As a part of SNCC. So, I mean, SNCC did a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, we literally got to bring some of these elders on here and just mm-hmm. give us this history. Like, Man. that's just, like, so much, like, to go back into. But that's such a, I mean, that's the word I was looking for. That is such a concentrated thing to focus on. Oh. Like, man. We could, we could go back. So, with that, um, you know, uh, there became, as, as time went on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the country changed because think about it beginning of the civil rights you're talking like the 50s right mm-hmm. by the so called end of the civil rights you're talking like the 60s now so that's like, that's like a decade so once the the um, the 60s is becoming ushered in it the, the young people are like look we're tired of getting beaten and turning these other cheeks and people mm. harming us because and then we're going to jail and we're trying to figure out how we're benefiting because we're being brutalized so um so with that um there the the energy of the young people started to change so the mindset of the people who were younger than then those people who had been organized mm-hmm. in the 50s were like, yeah, we want something different. So that already was like in the air. Okay. I'm calling the air. So we go down, to, um, we're down in uh, what's called Louds County, right? So because, well, I don't want to make it seem like only black folks were illiterate in Mississippi. <laughs> Everybody was illiterate, okay, in Mississippi. And not as like a diss, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But just in general, people couldn't read, right? A lot of Americans were just illiterate, right? So, you know, a lot of people work in farms, a lot of people work in factories, a mm-hmm. lot of people just got these manual labor jobs. That's a bulk of our labor force. Okay. So with that, um, in communication or getting across effective communication, 
the strategies were around using symbols and pictures and things like that. Um, I'm trying to think of the most shortest way to like <laughs> explain this. So long story short, there was um, f- down in, in Mississippi, like a, a party and um, uh, 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 what was it? It was a uh, it was an organization. So um, it was the Louds County Freedom Organization. Okay. And their symbol was a black panther. Okay. And so basically the strategy of SNCC was to like let people know that that was the that was who you should be voting for. Okay. So when they passed out the flyers and when they passed out everything, they had the black panther they had on the- it. You know what I'm saying? So that really helped folks to kind of identify whose team they were on. Very smart. Mm -hmm. There was um, another symbol, and I want to say it was a a pig. Okay. And that was the so-called other, I think it was like for the sheriff or whatever. I'm trying to look it up (laughs) quickly, but I'm not finding it fast enough. But it was for the sheriff or whatever. So people knew that like... That's not what we want, and this is what we want. So that's where that kind of came from. Very interesting. That is, like, so smart. Well, from there, um, if I'm not mistaken, that's where Huey got the idea uh, for using the panther. Because they were kind of, that was kind of like a symbol that was, like, recognizable when they Mm -hmm. had been doing all that work. You know what I mean? I got you. Um, Okay, so from there... um, We'll move a little bit into the future. So, but no, thank you for that though, because and look all this stuff strong, up, guys. Look all this stuff up, that's, guys. That's huge. Well, well, because Stokely Carmichael was a was um was a chairman of SNCC. Okay, and Stokely Carmichael was a very important figure mm-hmm. in SNCC. He was an organizer. Mm-hmm. He was a, a strong voice. Okay, of the people, he was bringing forth. He's the one who came up with black power. He, okay. he was the one who first coined the phrase black power. Okay. Well, Stokely was, um, people were very impressed by his presence, mm-hmm. by his oratory skills. Um, I mean, Stokely was just like this person, this charismatic person. But, but in addition to being charismatic, he was about it, about it. <laughs> so, you know... Um, there's a funny video that I see where um, is one of my favorite Stokely and he <laughs> jumps up on top of the car mm-hmm. and the police are there to like and they're harassing them. And Stokely's like, because at this point, you know, is where the energy is starting to change, you know, and Stokely's like, yeah, you can't. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing like, yeah, you came here thinking mm-hmm. that y'all was going to get to beat up on us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he's like, yeah, but uh, no, nah, <laughs> all the scared niggas are dead. <laughs> so, uh, but, so, Whoa, so that's, that is live. That's, he's live. Yeah. So that's Stokely Carmichael. <laughs> he was bringing okay. that type of energy. All right. We're not going to take it anymore. We're going to fight back. That's the type of messaging. So it Stokely went from Carmichael being in the about. air to having somebody that was like, I'm about to be vocal. It. There you yeah. go. And so from there, this is, you know, he was in these different circles. Okay. And so he's he's at, you know, the chair of this nonviolent organization being like, what are we doing? 
mm-hmm. you know this this feels harmful you know to us as a people they're gonna kill us. Release, yeah release and lose more vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah. and so he started having a, a more charged you know message and things like that but um yeah so that's basically he started uh rolling with uh I think if I'm not mistaken the the the, the Panthers like look to him as like a advisor mm-hmm. you know kind of counsel um and you know they listened to him they took up cues from him so anyway we'll have to do like a whole black panther one we'll bring some um some elder panthers in here it just made me i saw i saw like two years ago i saw the pbs uh black panther documentary that was just like what but i need to go back and rewatch it like really i got i got one or two of them as like my elder okay babas love that so we're gonna bring them in here and we'll do we'll do panther history oh my god so that's one show we'll have to do and then we'll have Mm -hmm. we'll see if we can get mama neb and and the folks from snick to come in here and give us that snick history that is because like you said like there's so many faces that go in front of the civil rights movement, but it's stuff like that. I mean, that's that's stuff I should know. I mean, you know what I mean to be honest. But there's, you know, there's you so know. many la- there's so many layers though. That's what I'm saying to the yeah. movement that should, you know, this is the age of information, and we should be. That's the stuff we should be talking about at 18. Well, is the is the foundation of the movement. You know, not just the faces of it. And then we are. But well, with that, mm-hmm. that's why I want to talk about this. Um, Betsy DeVos and the uh, this third grade reading law, yeah, that's coming up. And it's because think 2018, about it, 19 we're in 2018, year. right? They they want to take away our they want to yeah. take away our our our, our education. They want to. It's I mean they're already destroying education, but they really want to remove education. So this law, like when you um. Uh, when you when we talked a little bit on Sunday mm-hmm. and we were like kind of skimming, you were skimming me through some things. And, you know, what was interesting is, is that when you see the amount of states that have done it previous to Michigan mm-hmm. and it I think I implemented in Ohio in 13. And then I think they started trying to what they got it approved in 16 here. Is that what you told me? Yeah, I think 16 here. And this law is just funny to me, like, especially how people have discussed it and, and how it affects, I mean, what we're about to go into now, the our inner city children, yeah. you know, inner cities that are mm-hmm. 70 and to 85% black, you know, implementing a law like this. I don't know. It's just something to think about, right? Yeah. I mean, so long story short, I was trying to see of an abridged way that I could even, like, talk about this thing but literally i think first what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna say detroit independent freedom schools movement we actually have a pamphlet um on and that that includes our statement about this third grade um reading Mm. statute and this is this was created in march so basically um this statute is going to be implemented starting now do you mind if i read your guys's vision yeah all right. So this is, uh, again, what Piper is saying, Detroit Independent Freedom School Movement. And um, I'm looking at, a, at the plan pamphlet, and this is their vision. We are resolved to create an independent freedom schools movement in Detroit. This effort is essential to our community at the time in this order. Affirm our children and engage them in meaningful learning activities to repair the destructiveness and this dismantled public school system and to 
affirm and energize ourselves as a community, remembering, recognizing, and using tremendous capacities of self-determination, intelligence, creativity, spirit to respond to our children's needs, and to build the unity we need to resist the current government lawlessness and education and other essential arenas of our lives. Right. That's powerful. So, yeah, so, okay, so Detroit Independent Freedom Schools Movement. So um, this org came about um, out of, oh, my God, there's always, like, a deeper hole. (laughs) So, okay, Detroit had emergency manager, Mm -hmm. emergency management, which basically was the hostile takeover of the city and the the city's democracy. Love your choice of words. So what, what... they did was put into place mm-hmm. an overseer as opposed to your elected officials to make all of the financial decisions um, of all of your institutions and all of that. So in addition to you not having garbage collected, not having street lights um, and, and other city services, um, they, they started closing schools and they started destroying the schools that we do have and they started selling off um, schools to charters or allowing charters to come in and take over education. Mm-hmm. Why that's terrible <laughs> is because the privatization of education is just as terrible as the privatization of prisons, mm. which we'll have to do another mm-hmm. for showing just that. So um, with that, during that the the time of the uh, this 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 false bankruptcy that they claim was a bankruptcy, but it really wasn't. Um, they had this emergency manager. And so just how the uh, Governor Snyder made those terrible decisions and poisoned all of the people in Flint mm-hmm. with the water, beca- with, with the, the emergency management um, decisions to, like, switch the water over. And we learned, uh, was it episode three or something like that, mm-hmm. or two, with uh, Monica Lewis-Patrick from We the People of Detroit? Yes. So terrible decisions like that were made. So... Um, so with that, uh, a lot of people made out like fat rats, meaning they got these contracts, their pockets got lined, these schools got created. Um, they even created a whole system called the EAA. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they dissolved the so-called most failing schools. And then they took, took right, they took, took those kids and they, they put them, and then like those kids weren't learning anything. We realize now that um, a lot of those kids that were going to those schools, mm-hmm. their diplomas aren't worth anything. Um, the credits that they took, other schools are not taking. So those kids were like wasting all that time in school. Mind you, <laughs> the people voted against the, the EAA, mm-hmm. but they just implemented it anyway. And I was about to say, shout out to all the people who worked and fought on the ground to get that out of here because aren't those schools coming back into dps yeah. as of this year yeah like those 11 schools yep so that's, a lot of people don't realize how many people were working hard that's mother helen moore shouts out to mother Man. helen moore yes doing that work we gotta get her in here she's so fiery yeah. and awesome i've seen her one time on a panel and i was in awe yeah she that was her leading a lot of that work um so there was that um i mean and just other stuff that you know uh mold in the buildings um just they you know then 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 they then the then the uh federal government implemented common core common core was terrible because it literally was just and now they've gotten rid of common core but they um because they're like oh it doesn't work but 
You literally have like four or five years of youth who basically have a useless education because they were learning Common Core. Um, and they felt it. Like I've I've talked to, I've had the opportunity to talk to some students during that time frame that literally felt it. They weren't oblivious to, to it being a change. You know what I mean? That's yeah. unreal. It's a, it's a slave training tool that they had created. Um, they had just terrible standardized test questions. Um, there were questions on the test, on the standardized test, on the so-called standardized test that's supposed to be testing you for reading, right? Mm-hmm. That where, so on the test, you it's multiple choice. You can't go to the next page unless you answer all the questions on this page. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was questions like, um, if I saw a $10 bill that didn't belong to me on the ground, I'd pick it up if. And they have, like, these multiple choice questions, right? Mm-hmm. The one question that's not on there is I wouldn't pick it up. So they're also trying to test your threshold for crime. Mm-hmm. Within the reading, no one understands that this is what's being taught because it's not like the test is administered to people. It's just administered straight to the kids, right? Yeah. Um, another question on that test. I would join a gang if. These are supposed to be culturally relevant questions, right? I would join a gang if. The one question, the one answer that's not a multiple choice is I wouldn't join a gang. So they're they're literally have these reading tests that are also testing like what is the threshold for you committing this crime? If we push your back, if we push you back up against the wall, what's your threshold to commit this crime? There were other those are two that I remember, but but there were other questions that were on those types of standardized tests. So this is the type of crap when you get a charter school that they're able to do because what they do is they get the federal funding to do their school, but they're a private organization. So they get to teach your kid whatever they want to teach your kid, whether it's good, whether it's solid, whether they're actually learning something or not. So uh, many times they get a subpar education to public education. Parents really think because these charters have these budgets to have these better buildings that the schools are better because they have a new building. But just because you have a new building and a new bathroom and everything is shiny doesn't mean that your kid is getting a better education than they are. And basically those schools are stealing the money from the public schools. So what that means is your tax dollars are supposed to go to this public education but the private entities are stealing that money or are given that money. And then they don't have any obligation to your kid. Because when you put your kid in charter school, you sign a contract. Like like doing business, mm-hmm. your kid is contracted. So, say la vie. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, so with that, um, you know, with, with the Detroit Independent Freedom Schools movement, um, Part of what we do is educate community, mobilize community, um, teach kids, um, do field trips. So they get to go, you know, on different field trips around the city mm-hmm. to the different institutions, to farms, to museums. 
Um, really get they really get a feel of the city too. They're really learning the layout of it as well. They get to I learn like the city, and then they learn healthy how to prepare healthy meals. Mm-hmm. We have um, a community garden mm-hmm. that they've created at the museum on the ground, so they grow all the food, and then they learn how to prepare the food, and they learn, excuse me, about nutrition. Um, so they get a holistic. They learn about herbal medicine. Mm-hmm. They learn about herbs, how to grow herbs indoor, outdoor, how to make tinctures. Shouts out to Lottie Spady. <laughs> um, they, you know, shouts out to um, Bianca, Real Food by Bianca. So they learn a lot, a lot, a lot of um, very useful things as well. Awesome. You know what I mean? That's, In addition you know, to African culture. You know, it's, you know, we you just broke down. For our listeners, kind of like the changes that have been going on with DPS, and shout out to my mom. The only reason why I'm real passionate about it is because she taught she taught English and African World Studies at Mumford High School for so many years. Shout out, mom. Um, but you know, when you take a look at the school, the schools that are um, inside of DPS, and you talked about them getting rid of a lot of African center schools. There are two African center schools left inside of DPS. Right. One is Timbuktu. And the others, I think, Marcus Garvey mm-hmm. and Malcolm X. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I may, there may be a third, you know. But the point I'm making that this is so powerful, this Freedom School is so powerful, is because this are thing, these are things that are just, we're about to get into a third grade reading law and how that law is even set up. But at the end of the day, there's no time when you're trying to teach kids to read by third grade in this type of system for them to learn their history and their culture or their community and that's something that's so vital in 2018 for the black student that is living in a city that's 80 to 85 percent black. So this is super needed. Yeah, super needed. It's, it's just, like you said, it is providing a solution versus just talking about how we're not educating our children. Right. And these laws that are going into place. How, what are we doing to change that narrative? So, yeah, I mean, and part of it, too. There's so much nefariousness going on in these schools. So a couple of more things. Um, So we used to have, before the emergency manager, we used to have PTA, Parent Teacher Association. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of the Parent Teacher Associations were for the parents to have some power and some voice Mm -hmm. over what type of books they want their kids to learn from, what type of curriculum should be taught, um, what you know what's happening with their kid at the school you know lunches mm-hmm. that so different decisions that um that that that, that are made that that was that's the parent's opportunity to get involved with you know the school um become more involved with their teachers get to learn you know the processes um have a voice have some level of power mm-hmm. and have some say so right mm-hmm. well when these emergency management um managers took over um they got rid of the ptas and so they put in place this organization called um, parent network and what parent network did um it looks like it's pretty good but it's like astroturf instead of grass (laughs) you know what i mean yeah i was i'm checking out the way it's marketed it looks beautiful it looks great it looks beautiful and basically what parent network did is they it's like the equivalent of when the U.S. military goes to a so-called third world country and mm-hmm. bombs them and then comes back through and, and drops a bag of rice. 
You understand? Yes. So what they did is they <laughs> destroyed it, and then they brought in the parent network, and then parent network was like bringing food pantry, job training, you know, um, child care, like all the things that the parents need. So they're providing all these needs, right? Like a pacifier type thing. I don't want to say pacifier, but it's too yes. extreme. Well, well, what I mean is, um, it is a pacifier, but it's nefarious because you're you are providing needs so i don't want to make it seem like Mm -hmm. like our community doesn't need agreed i hear you you know but the the point i think you're making is is that i need to have a voice still too i need to still have a voice can i have a voice so you've got about 10 years of this going on so imagine all the kids and all the parents who have been in this for like 10 years, they don't even know that they could have a voice, right? Mm -hmm. And then most of the parents who were in that system, their kids are out of the system now after 10 years. Your kid's not in school anymore uh, or not in that school or, you know. So now they're bringing back, VD, who's the superintendent, is bringing back the PTA. Saw that. Um, But if people don't know how to govern themselves so a part of uh what one of the solutions we've been doing is going into schools and helping set up these ptas as well or helping very nice piper helping people set up their own ptas because you don't want to set up people's power for them (laughs) no but i think i understand i understand what you're saying you're giving people the opportunity you you here's the house that you want these are the amenities you want now let me show you how to build the foundation for it and that's very that's very important people have to like to your point, sometimes people know that they want to have a voice and are happy to have a voice. But just because you have a voice doesn't mean that you're fighting for the right things or observing the right things and know how to speak to those things. So mm-hmm. th- that's definitely needed. Yeah, or things that will empower you, right? Yeah, agree. Or things that will, yes, you know, help you as opposed to harm you, or, um, or even you know possibilities, right? Yes. Because if if Pete, like mm. Mother Helen Moore, well, she knows what the standards should be mm-hmm. right so having guidance from elders and things like that is key too so another thing is with the um parents associations mm-hmm. the way that they're bringing them back is pretty nefarious they're offering payment to so-called parent leaders right ah, so these parents mm-hmm. leaders will be they're more like spies <laughs> so well i see that there's like i think I may be mistaken. I may be mixing my stuff up, but I think there's like 18 in the city. And I think that don't they like you can select and they'll go in and they'll teach you and they'll they'll teach there. You can they can they can do kind of various things. They can teach the child and give the child extra um, reading skills. And then, like you said, they can come in and show the parent um, how to apply for jobs, how to do things of that nature. That's the marketing. So basically, uh, <laughs> what what it is is that it's basically parent network work on steroids. So they have so they're paying these parents, and the parents are you're right they're the, they're the liaisons. So they have X amount of schools. Okay. That they're responsible for. So with that, they work to quote unquote together with the security guard mm-hmm. and the teacher to do mandatory home visits so what they offer you food they offer you the job training 
uh, different, you know, job, banks, all this different trinkets that I'm going to call it like, but necessary stuff, right, that you might actually need. But so they have all this stuff that they're offering and then they'll say, but all you have to do is just sign right here. Dangling and once carrots. you sign, you're signing over your rights for them to come into your home and do these mandatory home visits. Now, what's nefarious about that is at the same time, we have a city that's cutting off 100,000 people's water that live in the hood. If your water's cut off, even for $150, they'll take your kid from you. So they're using this to be able to go as a pass to be able to go into people's homes and be able to take people's kids from them. So this is how <sighs> this is how they're they're going to be using this against people. I see and agree and believe and know everything that you're saying. Mm-hmm. For those people who look at things as opportunity and improvement and betterment of community mm-hmm. through the marketing that we just talked about. Yeah. And they say, well, it starts at home. So we're tired of the school system only being one-sided. And there has to be some accountability at home. What do you say to that? I mean, is it accountable, though? How is that accountability? That's the part I don't get. For people who think that there needs to be some type of metric for parents and that this is the only way. To do it, what is your response? I mean, you take away, you're taking away people's ability to be able to function in society, Mm. right? So one part of society is removing people's ability to be able to take care of themselves Mm. and function. And then that's on one end, and then they come around on the other end and just destroy their lives. We've seen it time and time again. Yeah. That's what I'm so I guess for me, it's very easy for privileged people who have a job, a 401K, got, you know, degrees up the woo and, you know, lived this certain life to be able to look at people who don't have those same options Mm -hmm. and then turn around and say that's what you need to do Mm. but part of the issue is they're not living in those people's realities and a lot of times people are living in these realities because what has been thrust upon them Mm. it's not to say that people are victims because people i've had conversations with people who will say that people are victims allow themselves to be victimized and i'm not saying that they're that trifling people don't exist that's not what I'm speaking to. I'm, sp- I'm I'm zooming out. If we were looking at a map. Yep. And I'm zooming out from looking at it on a street level mm-hmm. to looking at it all the way from bird's eye view. All over the whole, you know, vastness of it mm-hmm. as a system. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a system of white supremacy capitalism. Right? Straight and up. And if we're looking at it as a system, then it's not Shantasha's. You know what I'm saying? Uh, not on top of her game. If you're looking at it as a system, y- if we were to give each one of those people a colored dot, mm-hmm. if you would see dots all over the neighborhood. You'd see dots all over the city. Mm. And those dots would be reflective of what is being imposed upon them. So much so that shouts out to Monica Lewis Patrick from We the People of Detroit and her book, 
Mapping the Water Crisis. And her book with the research they've done with the research team at Wayne State does exactly that. It mm. maps where the housing foreclosures were and puts on top of that the map of where the water shutoffs occurred and then puts on top of that where the schools were closed. Ding, ding, ding. It's all <laughs> the same people. So there is no way that you could come at me with your cushy situation and tell me what people who have had their house foreclosed upon, their water cut off, their schools closed, and no grocery stores in their neighborhood. Um, they got to work two and three jobs to do the best that they can. They've got multiple children, so they're trying to make it work. Mm. Don't tell me about what they need to be doing when they're being impacted upon by a system who's continually impacting upon them. Because at the end of the day, if you really distill it down to the really, really real, all of this is so that they can feed that prison industrial complex. We get into it. Okay. We get into it. Because right now there's a plan on the table. Is it $4 million? No, I got it's It's, it's $533 million jail complex. Oh, I was way, way, way no, off. No, you wasn't way off. You four, just needed. I was only at $4 million. <laughs> <laughs> No, you said four hundred. No, said, I said four. Oh. Four, yeah. So, so they're building a jail complex, right? Yeah. So they have $500 million to build a jail complex. That's going to have, <laughs> as they're marketing it to us, a court inside of it. Ooh-wee. Right? It's going to have a court with it. It's supposed to have the court. And it's supposed to have a, uh, <laughs> right? That's what they marketed to us. So <laughs> what I'm saying is, you mean to tell me that you closed like 15 to 22 schools, high schools, and you're, you're telling me that you think it's smarter to close those schools and build they they to and build a prison that's nefarious. It's and 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 another step on top of that is is that they really plan with our money. They really plan with us because it costs more money to demolish a school than it costs to build one. Wow. I mean, there's um th- th- that that whole thing destroyed all the neighborhoods like closing the schools because <laughs> the schools were the the central, you know, well, um edifices of you know arteries of the of the neighborhood and so closing the schools literally destroyed these neighborhoods but we don't want to make people feel like all is lost oh it's not we're talking about freedom we're talking about freedom so okay so this third grade reading law um or reading statute so i'm gonna i'm just gonna read from uh so there's a pamphlet, like I said, uh, Detroit Independent Freedom Schools. This one's different than that one. Okay. So um, this is awesome. I love this pamphlet. Yeah, we got to get that pamphlet out to people. Um, I think so. Yeah, because it has a lot of like useful, useful, useful information. But long story short, if I distill down the reading law, basically what it is is that they're gonna give young people a reading plan, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've determined um, throughout the throughout the country that third grade and or fourth grade is that grade where they start determining the beds that they'll that they'll need to order for prisons right (laughs) right so that's how they that's how they they budget the prisons is based off of the third and fourth grade reading reading um reading scores okay Mm -hmm. so they take those and they say yeah there's how many beds we'll probably need so uh so with that this is supposed to, the way it's marketed is that your child will have an opportunity to have a tutor, 
they'll have X amount of time to get their weight up. They, you know, get these skills training, get their reading training, get the phonics, that type of thing. And they'll have some help. Your parents will have help. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll have someone uh, be able to, um, you know, uh, be with be with them mm-hmm. and that liaison. They yep. have a liaison and they'll follow them. But long story short, it's a you, it's a contract that you have to sign. And if you don't abide, they're going to give you. I think within the contract, you have X amount of time to get it together. Right, so called get it together. Uh, it, meaning like, you know, with their with their reading, with their phonics, with their learning. This like is how they're this it, is how they're presenting it. This is this a strong statement, a strong foundation of it seems to be where they say they mark it and say, you know, K through third grade should be where you're learning to read. Fourth through sixth and up is where you're reading to learn. Mm-hmm. And if if you can't read to learn um, by the fourth grade, you know, there's something wrong and you should be held back. And, you know, and they say, well, we understand that the retention piece might be something that people don't like. But these are the other great things that you just mentioned that will probably keep our statistics of, you know, retention down. Mm-hmm. This retention's part of this of this law, but don't worry too much about it. Yeah. I mean, in in reality, I know people are like, you know, on the outside, well, this is a good thing. I just really don't believe in the government mandating and regulating uh, in this kind of way. Especially your homegirl, Betsy DeVos. Especially right? not Betsy DeVos. Uh, white supremacist, Aryan, uh, right-wing, super-Christian, like, just the worst I couldn't help but go through, and I'm not going to bash her, you know, woman power there, some, find something to connect good on, Michigander, I love Grand Rapids, it's one of my favorite cities, and they're all through Grand Rapids, the DeVosses, so no sneak dissing, no neg- too much negativity, but I will say that, <laughs> you know, sh- 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 one, I'm not going to just put it on Bessie DeVos, the Department of Education, to your point, what are y'all really doing? So that's that 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 is where you're where you're where you're dictating and regulating things that help the collective and and majority black cities. And Bessie's the bosses where my where my battle begins with her being the leader of the Department of Education is not just what is your background, but you have not yet made it a, a, a conscious effort to visit inner city schools, knowing that you have no background and going to an inner city school or sending your kids there. Yeah. That's where my beef starts. Yeah. I mean, that's only the beginning. So, <laughs> I mean, but in addition to that, um, she's got this thing that she's doing. It's called school choice. <laughs> yeah, saw that. And that speaks more to what I was talking about earlier about she's got these vouchers. Mm-hmm. And the vouchers are basically to give to kids who want to go to private schools or mm-hmm. whatever school they want to go to. But the issue is, let's say, let's say, like for a public school, a kid costs like seven thousand for the year. They say, um, at a private school, that's like two, three months. <laughs> so you get a voucher for like seven, seven racks. Go to the go to school for like two months, and they're like, "Bye, Raheem. <laughs> you don't have the money to finish." 
And now it's sending your butt to back to uh, public school because you don't have money to pay for this. Now they done took the money that was supposed to go to the public school for the kid for the whole year. And instead of that school getting the resources that it actually needed to educate the kid, this private school done took that state funding that's taxpayers' money and going into these private Christian schools for a kid that they kick out in like two months. Unreal. And it's just a hustle. And she's for that. That's what she's here for. Meanwhile, our schools consistently depleted, depleted, depleted. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so or if not yeah. pumped with curriculums that don't guide us the way that freedom is trying to do. I mean, and even, you know, yeah, so there's that. And even all these standardized tests that lead Yo. to nowhere. Think about so the in the third grade law, like I think, you know, like I, like we were talking in sixteen. That's when they got approved. So up into now, where they're about to actually implement the law, they've been testing kids to test their where they are, you know, their yeah. real reading levels. And then part of the third grade law is is that they're going to be testing them all throughout the year. So mm-hmm. now you're putting pressure on the principal. Yeah. You're putting pressure on the teachers. Yeah. You're putting pressures on the child. Now a lot of people think that the pressure tech, the pressure, the pressure tactic works when you look at the statistics but when you look at the retention statistics Mm -hmm. it doesn't so it's all based on these tests because (laughs) they get the money they get money right this is all like in the real world all this stuff is nazi training testing people's intellectual levels and iq and placing them like you said where they placing them where you think they need to be Mm. that's nazi stuff all that came out of nazi germany um and so Mm. Yeah, so long story short, <sighs> part of what we have to do is resist against this crap. Um, I know it's difficult to be a parent and be like, but what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to put my kid? I don't want my kid suffering. I don't want mm-hmm. this. I get it. Like, I totally get it. Um, what I do hope that more people do, whether you're a parent or a concerned citizen or a young person. We want young people in this fight. We want you to stand up for your education. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And stand up for education in a way that you get to reclaim what you want to learn. You get to reclaim what's totally important to you. Totally agree. You know what I'm saying? Totally agree. I mean, you talk about solutions where you're sending sending your, your child after hours to learn but you know when you get deep down and rooted when it when it takes somebody when there's 37 states before this state that gets a law and then they sell other states on the statistics that only help that law be in place and then it comes here and it takes two years for them to kind of get it together on how they're going to really implement it and push it out to the schools they're ready they're, they're ready to really 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 get this jail rocking so with that being said, we as a collective have to think smarter in solutions of after school programs, things like freedom. But if they're t- if they're starting to really monitor what we're doing in the third grade, the question is, what should we do as a collective in preschool and before preschool? What do reading programs look like for us at that age level? What are we mixing in with our culture and, and allowing our children and having our children prepared by preschool? For these type of things. Well, on a specific level, there's a brother out of Chicago. His name is Marcus Klein. Mm, I think you might have I been telling me. Before. Mm-hmm. He has a school. It's a private African-centered school. Okay. 
um, uh, shouts out to uh, Freedom Home Academy. Yes. He also has a curriculum, and I believe that you could purchase this mm. curriculum from him. He has all the way from preschool or actually out the womb all the way through high I school. I love that. Yeah. His kids are going to college in okay. middle school. They do <laughs> No, serious. They do college. Dope. They do college immersion in mm. middle school. So in the summers, they go to these college programs when they're in middle school. So he has a specific phonics program geared towards African-centered children and African youth, uh, black kids, if you will, where uh, his curriculum um, has them reading like when they enter preschool. Mm. So when they're entering, I mean, you know, if you start from the womb, if you start from preschool, obviously you're you know it's mm-hmm. a little later but there's recommendations i mean everyone recommends even my mom tells me you know i was reading by the time i was like two because she read to me in the womb mm. it starts with reading in the womb so something we can do um if parents don't feel empowered that they're able to read get in these reading circles uh we have to we have to get creative we do about you know, saving ourselves. So I would say baby book club, something let's yeah, get it. Yeah. I mean the library yes. has, if you go to the Redford library or the <sighs> main library or any of these libraries, there's some, there's, a, there's a lot of different, you know, the literacy program. They have yes. so many literacy programs. They have a, um, a, a black homeschool. They have like a couple of black homeschoolers groups. Shouts out to mama Salima mm. Ellis. They have a few African-American or, or black homeschooler collectives. They meet at the library. They do nice. all types of literacy. Um, you know, get with other people and don't be afraid to be like, hey, I need some support. I need, you know, and listen, I ha- I've gone to college. Um, often I have issues sometimes, comprehension. Understood. You know, if something's above my so-called reading level right you know what i'm saying sometimes i need to like look up stuff i got you take it you know and i read a lot you know what i'm <laughs> yeah. saying and you know I, I you know i consider myself intelligent intellectual whatever and a person like myself who reads often you know if something is challenging for me i've got to look be like hey this is a little bit challenging i gotta look these words up I think I might need some help. I go on the internet. I might call a few people. Have you read this? Do you know what this means? You know, like we've got to start becoming empowered about our own education. Yes. And take the reins on this education. And we have. So, like I said, there's the library has lots of resources, free resources, free resources. If you go to the public library, they and go to whatever section because they have Mm -hmm. the children's sections. They have senior sections. They've got. You know, whether you're in entrepreneurship, any everybody should be at the library, first of all. It's a great resource. But they have different reading groups, different homeschool reading groups. Like I said, the Brother Marcus Klein with uh, Freedom Home Academy um, it, out of Chicago. He's got a preschool, an elementary school, a middle school, a high school, African Center, all. Now, his programs are made, you know, for, I would call them talented and gifted. Okay. <laughs> um and you know so they're a little more intensive okay and this kind of thing um but i would say that they're also flexible you Understood. know what i'm saying so you could take the curriculum 
he's available you contact him he's available for you to you know go through it with you and make sure that you know you're comfortable Mm -hmm. if you want to use this resource like i said us there's also people in education they're humanizing education they're also in detroit um shouts out uh to nate mullen um there's there's like so many people in detroit who are just taking the reins they're homeschooling yes and they're creating homeschool i'm super for homeschool uh school schooling but i mean everybody can't homeschool understood right? but everybody it, can't homeschool it's something to just throw out there to just plant the seed that if you have a lifestyle or you know educators your parent was an educator your grandparent was an educator something to think about especially I will say I am not a parent and I am not trying to overstep my boundaries when it comes to parenting and giving advice on it. But I will say in Michigan and the things that are going on in the city of Detroit and the things that are right underneath our nose, that if you have a child, you have a brother, you have a sister, you have a cousin that is in preschool or that is approaching the first or second grade, check in on them at a, on a surface level. You know, my generation there are so many things that we can do to get involved on, uh, I mean, and implement within our own lives. You know what I mean? Like I have cousin, little cousins that are, you know, part of Detroit public schools. I coach basketball. It is easy to just check in and see between these age groups, what these kids are doing and how you can be a resource to their process, knowing that these are laws that are implemented. And yeah. the other thing is, you know, again, that I'm not trying to overstep my parenting boundaries, But all this information, it is so crucial, Detroit, for you to understand that all this information that Piper is blessing you with and giving you is accessible on the Internet. These are things that the state, that the nation, because they are public entities, they have to share with you. This is not information that we are just going that 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 we're paying for. These are things that we are spending hours And just looking at that are on the Internet, go and find these documentations and see these things for yourself. As Piper said earlier, don't just believe our words. See this information for yourself. It is very accessible. You are in the age of information. You owe it to yourself to seek for yourself. Yeah. And so with that, there's a bunch of national organizations that are doing stuff, too. One of those is um, that. Well, there's a Michigan we choose mm-hmm. which is um you know basically is we choose education equity mm-hmm. and not the illusion of school choice <laughs> um, can i see that mm-hmm. and that's from journey for justice which is j4j alliance.com i like it and journey for justice uh shouts out to g2 and everybody that's working on the michigan we we choose okay um, Maulana, um, Dana. I love when you get names. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> uh, Baba Kamal. Mm. So it's different organizations that, um, have come together. Okay. Around the country mm-hmm. to fight against the Betsy DeVos talking about school choice. And they're saying, look, we want education equity, not the illusion of school choice. Right. Mm hmm. So we're a part of the We Choose. We're a part of the Michigan We Choose, uh, meaning Detroit Independent Freedom Schools okay. movement. So with that, um, we have different events and things okay. that we hold to, like, do political education uh, with the community. Actually, Detroit Independent Freedom Schools, we're going to do a forum coming up in October. Nice. 
um we're still planning it so okay. i'll have the date by the next show yeah we'll shout it out yeah we want people to come because we want you to be educated about what's going on in education okay so that you can make informed choices but um yeah if you go on to we choose hashtag we choose you'll see like the journey for justice alliance our whole um education platform um everything that we want for an equitable and just school system now and um you can read everything about the organization and see if you want to sign on if you want the organization to sign on but a lot of these principles and things are are you know stuff like uh they want a moratorium on school privatization okay and basically what we were talking about earlier about how they're using these uh the charter schools to like tear down the public education Mm -hmm. so we want to make it so that our tax dollars are going into our public schools especially right now yeah especially when these teachers need to be trained to 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 teach these these kids to get them there by third grade if this law is going into effect the resources need to be there well the other thing too with this third grade reading law they um like you said earlier one of the things that they're doing is um they have these coaches and so they're these research resource coaches Mm -hmm. and so the resource coaches are the ones who are supposed to help um get the kids up to speed and and you know this kind of thing um and so yeah like where do the resources come from you have resources to pay all these coaches what about the resources to pay teachers properly so you can actually attract and hire people you know that are qualified as opposed to teach for america as opposed to no offense but these little white girls that have just graduated from college and their first job is teach for america so who do they give them the training wheels on the black kids in the hood that they have nothing in common with and that they're afraid of and that they criminalize and that they punish and that they leave behind and that they don't you know so yeah it's like you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. there's that Mm -hmm. um another pillar or another demand is um, federal funding for 10,000 sustainable community schools. And so that would be schools that are created by community. Okay. That are self-sustaining um, because they've removed a lot of these schools from the community. So there are whole communities that where schools are just missing <laughs> and kids have to travel too far. In a city like Detroit, our public transportation is atrocious horrible so shout out to the auto industry so it's very difficult so they've closed down these schools in the neighborhoods (laughs) and the kids have to take you know two and three buses just to get to a school do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and in a lot of cases that's kind of dangerous because they're not from that neighborhood okay especially when we start talking high school right especially in high school um there's end zero tolerance policies in public education now. So that's Say it. that again, I'm sorry. It says end zero tolerance policies okay. in public education now. That's getting rid of the criminalization of youth. So they came up with all these zero tolerance policies and all that crap. That's coming out of your war on drugs. Those types of policies. 
right? Mm-hmm. So the zero tolerance policies, that's the beginning of your criminal career, <laughs> right? Three strikes and all this kind of crap. So that's how they're getting... It's, just, it's, it's refaced. Yeah. Different and face. In Detroit public schools, this is even more dangerous because... We have deput our security guards mm-hmm. are actually deputized police officers. And so we actually have police precincts. The the security officers are actually deputized police precincts. Yo, I was talking about this on th- our school campuses. I was th- I thought they had gotten I was just talking to one of my coworkers about this today and I didn't know I remember like I told you at Mumford there used to it used to feel like DPS had their own police staff. I don't know if I'm saying yeah, that right or wrong. They do, they do. But, you know, I know we're going to get on that later about uh, teachers holding guns mm-hmm. and, you know, I should say carrying. I should use my words. Right. But mm-hmm. so that's funny that you mentioned. I didn't mean to digress, but I didn't know if that was still a thing in DPS. They have their Detroit public schools police okay. system. OK. That's who's doing the security in the schools. OK. And so the schools have the police precinct is on the school campus. Okay. And so when you get into trouble in school, mm, it's okay. it starts the beginning of your criminal record. So anything you do at school, it's not just that you've gotten in trouble at school. That's your that's your criminal record now. So everything is actually a criminal record. So it's not like, oh, this happened in school and that's your school record. When you when you leave school and you graduate and you finish, that is your permanent criminal history understood and so, so that you understand now yeah i'm with you because i'm thinking it up on the end of what and i'm sure we're gonna get into in a second on having um people already there that are trained to do stuff like that i'm not thinking of it a sense of like this one i wish i would have looked this up but school shootings and you know how they're trying to arm the teachers with with guns oh, and i know we you're gonna go that route so when i'm thinking about detroit and i'm thinking about inner city schools that may have they ain't gonna police. give our kids they ain't gonna give our teachers no guns they talking uh, about them white kids that go to school in rural jumble jumble they, they're gonna give those teachers guns okay. they're not gonna give inner I city didn't think teachers i will hope not guns. but i'm still against it i still think it's some bs i still think you shouldn't be arming teeth like that sound crazy i don't think you should either but i'm i'm with you now that these students that have when they get in trouble when there's things that that happen inside of these schools it's going on their criminal record by default just because there's police they're police in these schools because the security is a police system and they're deputized police i'm with you you know that's dangerous i think it is too okay um another uh, demand is uh, a national equity assessment. Okay. Basically, that's looking at across the country. How are the schools, uh, the resources being used and distributed, like in real life? So if you look at, let's just take two schools. Let's say some privileged white suburban school in mm-hmm. Birmingham or something. And one of the poor you know, for lack of a better way to put it, poor schools on the east side of Detroit. Mm -hmm. How are those schools, because education budgets are doled out on a state level. You get it? Mm -hmm. So the same, so when the federal government is looking at states, they're not looking at cities. Right. They're looking at the state. So they're comparing this school to that school across the state (laughs) so they get the same money they get the same resources and i'm laughing just because it's like 
two different worlds. Completely. I, that's why I gave you the two opposites. So imagine, you know, like, um, and I'm only talking about public education right now. I got you. I'm not talking about private. Country Day. No. Yeah. No, I'm talking about. Roper. No, not those schools. I'm talking about public education right now. When you look across the state and, you know, you're in these meetings and things and they're talking about the budgets, they're going to say, oh, well, we gave X amount of money to this school in Birmingham and we gave the same X amount of money to this school in Detroit and everything should be completely the same. Why is it coming out different? But there are so many. And if you live in a suburb and if you live in an inner city, you understand there are so many levels of 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 difference in terms of culture as to what's happening and what's needed in either of those situations and everything in between. So I'm telling you, your homegirl, Betsy DeVos, <laughs> I'm joking, terrible. I'm joking, listeners, not coming and visiting inner city schools. What? So that's why we say we need a national equity assessment to look across what is at, you're saying on paper that these are these budgets. Come that's see so deep what these budgets will come see what what your budgets are paying for. Come see it in real time. Please. See what this looks like. I love that. So the next one mm-hmm. is um, stop the attack on black teachers. <laughs> so basically when I was telling you. About, that's a real direct one. Well, yeah. When I was telling you. Yeah. It's no way to, other other way way to put that. Yeah. So when I was telling you about the teach for America. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people will say, oh, well, there's no black men in the schools. Um, black men aren't teachers. Teachers get paid a penance. And black men, I mean, I don't want to just, you know, I'm painting a broad brush, say black men need money. But I'm just saying, you know, there's an expectation <laughs> that, you know, that, that <laughs> right, that grown mm-hmm. men need to get paid. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, you know, if we come out of this white supremacist mm-hmm. typical way that we look at things, everybody needs to get paid. Here you go. Right? Everybody needs to be able to um, be paid a fair wage, have benefits. Like these are like the basic needs of life, right? And so, in America, when you're when when you're asking teachers to come teach for twenty thousand dollars a year or twenty five thousand dollars a year, um, possibly with no benefits. I mean, who can afford? To do that, except a little white girl that's trying to experiment, that just graduated from college, that like doesn't need money, that wants to help poor black kids. You understand what I'm saying? Like, can't no grown individual make a living off of like twenty or twenty five thousand, or even thirty, thirty five thousand, or let's forty. Let's call it a principal thirty five (laughs) thousand. You understand what I'm saying? Like, these are these are numbers that literally have you as the working poor. These are numbers that keep you as a statistic of the working poor. And then there's an expectation that you're supposed to come to this place and educate these other people and give that much energy. And it's supposed to be that important. And it's not valued. It's not taken seriously. It used to be teachers had training. Right. Workshops. You had you had to go through all these levels of training Mm -hmm. so that you were able to have classroom management skills and be able to to draw out of Mm -hmm. the young people what you need to draw Mm -hmm. out of them, that you're able to develop 
right others you know there's all these skills per what you the array of what you may have in one class a 35 room classroom right with different personalities and there's different psychological yes techniques there's all this kind of stuff right mm-hmm. so with that um there's an we say there's an attack on black teachers because um the conditions that are created are not are our conditions that make it impossible for people to be able to be a professional teacher or be, you know, be a professional. Mm-hmm. And they're giving these jobs. Uh, they don't value these jobs and they're just giving them to unqualified people. And they're putting unqualified people to teach our babies. Okay. They're putting unqualified babies to come and teach our babies. So there's that. So we want to make sure that, you know, black teachers are paid properly, that they get, uh, funding for training that mm-hmm. they get the support that they need I love it to, to be able to be trained and be able to be you know remain excellent so there's that the next one is um, in the state takeovers um, appointed school boards and mayoral control so that's very dangerous like right now in Detroit our mayor is trying to get into the education game because education is big business be ye not deceived that's why everybody's getting into it because that's where the money is education and prisons okay and so across the country not just in detroit but all across the country we're seeing this trend of the 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 state literally you know taking over the school and you know they're appointing these school boards the school boards are just reckless with their spending and their decision making it none of it has anything to do with education or children um and then yeah the mayor has no business in education education is a state game let's just keep it there so what i'm gonna say uh, i'm gonna say this about that that's what mom and g always says (laughs) um is that that's what we want to we want to see an end to that Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then the next sure. thing is eliminate the over resilience on standardized tests in public schools. Love that one. The, they're just slave training tools. Those standardized tests are slave training tools. Not only are they slave training tools, like I said, they all come out of Nazi Germany to test your IQ and test where you belong in society or tell you like what your lot in life is supposed to be but the, but none none of it is based on anything that that you've actually learned and you know they're searching for something beyond the we want to see if you are as smart as you think you are or we want to see how smart you are because i've looked and i think i can't give you the names of it right now but you know, beyond, I would say, like the the early two thousands, they weren't te- they weren't using. The point I'm making is is that they keep changing the way these standardized tests are given and how they go about getting this information. Because it's money. Because because a new because every twenty minutes a new standardized test comes into the game. So it's like going to the mall and then being like, oh, am I gonna go to this get this sneaker? Or that sneaker. I'm going to get me, oh, shoot. those. I didn't have those Jordans. Oh, wait. I need the 2019 Jordans. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I need the 2020 <laughs> Jordans. So that's all it is, is they come into the education game and basically 
teachers are just working on kids passing these standardized tests so that they don't get fired and they continue to keep a job. Mm -hmm. But the tests are not based on anything that the kids are learning. And they're, they're only meant for the school to be able to get the check to say that the kids took the test. Yeah, they, you can't, you what, you can't get a check unless they take the test, right? Yeah, you can't get the check unless you take the test. What kind of so that was the last one. Now, all of that goes into the We Choose, and those are the things, you know, that are under, like, that We Choose. So you definitely want to check out the We Choose hashtag. Thank you for sharing that. That was powerful. You know, the Michigan That's very organized. That's very thoughtful. That's very let's create a standard way of how we're going to go about fighting these issues. Shouts out to G2. That. That's just G2 and that, and that uh, and, and those folks. I think they are uh, Newark and, and, and other places. They did that. That's very, 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 very organized. Yeah. So um, if you, you, there's still time to get down with the movement. Um, yeah. So there's a whole, like, there's a whole thing on, like, um, the privatization of public education um like using words like low performance and achievement gap and what that means in the economics of education you know what i'm saying how those are illusions um and how those are used in the conversation around the privatization of education and then there's like you know the comparisons between that system Mm -hmm. and the prison system because it's all linked it's all linked to that's why they call it the school to prison pipeline you know what i'm saying listeners if that sounds too disconnected for you that means that you need to do a little bit of research i'm begging you there is a strong connection to that please yeah so i guess the other thing is there's another organization it's called the alliance to reclaim our schools okay so people can get down with the Alliance to Reclaim Our Schools. I get their newsletter. This is powerful. Yeah, this is dope. Like the Alliance to Reclaim Our Schools is dope. I get their uh, I get their newsletter. Mike keeps dropping. It's okay. They're also a part of um, they're also a part of um the uh they're also part of the they're national one. we choose. Okay. They're one of the orgs. Um, they have a lot of information, a lot of information, a lot of information. The Alliance to Reclaim Our Schools. Um, did when if you uh just get their newsletter. Mm-hmm. Go to uh, reclaimourschools.org, get their newsletter, and you will just find out everything that's going on nationally and sometimes internationally around education, the education game, like what's happening. um, So you can, you know, uh, like stay abreast of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, So, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. They have a whole thing um they talk about the critical elements of um like sustainable community schools okay because we were saying that we wanted to create the ten thousand mm-hmm. community schools so one is um curriculum that is engaging culturally relevant and challenging now i will say this about that uh if you go to detroit public schools i went to uh, M- mother helen moore shouts out to her she invited us to because we Detroit got a new uh superintendent of schools like last year. Okay. She invited us to a meeting at NAN National Action Network. Okay. Um if you ever see that Malcolm X video, the ballot or the bullet, that's the they hold their meetings at the church where he gave that speech. Okay. National Action Network, that's um a national organization. They do 
a lot of different types of work, and one of them is education. Okay. All right. Um, so um, with that, uh, they they invite or yeah they invited the new superintendent of schools VD mm-hmm. to uh, have a meeting, and he rolled out. He showed us everything that's coming down the pipe as um, far as education. Now I will say this. If you go onto the DPS website Yo, and you see everything, like, it looks amazing. That's what I'm telling you. I'm, there's this thing. The things that they say they want to do. They say they want to have culturally relevant education. This is. Like, they say they want to have all these things. Like, this is what they say. And it, and it all sounds. Look at this. It all sounds incredible. I mean, I. Uh, the, only thing, the only thing that we need to do is just hold them accountable to everything that it says there. I like the way, one, I will say, when you go to DetroitK12.org and it gives you the opportunity to take a look at this brochure and it says, Innovation and Opportunity, Picking the Perfect School. And they uh, go into all the different schools and they break these different schools out by, um, I got it right here. If it's a, a uh, give me one second. So it's an ES, which is like an excellent school, meaning like the cast, the kings, the renaissance. The, you know, if you're not from here, you have to test to get into magnet um, particular schools. Mm-hmm. They're called magnet uh, schools. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they saw that. They, I think they said about 900 applicants um, in the last couple of years, you know, separately. Um you know, tried to test into these schools. So they realized like, okay, we got to have more schools where kids have to test into us. Some of the schools we close, we're going to turn into schools you have to test into, mm-hmm. you know. So to Piper's point, they have all the different schools laid out. So if you're trying to pick where you want, where you want your child to go and you live in the city and you have, you don't have a neighborhood school, when you go on this website, they lay it out. It looks beautiful. They have it broken down by early childhood, Montessori, Center for Students with Special Needs, uh, application schools, career and technical schools. Piper, as you know, uh, there's a you know a nice amount of STEM schools that are being implemented. They also have another curriculum where you can take a look K through eighth grade, where they take the book The Seven Habits of a Highly Successful Person or People, mm-hmm. um, and they've turned that into a curriculum. And that's from Franklin Convey, I think that's the name of the company. And they take that they take that book and they turn it they've turned it into a curriculum. And they can teach that curriculum K through eight. And I think Detroit has two or three schools that are dedicated to that t- uh, that curriculum. So they're trying to get a little bit more organized. They are becoming more organized. It looks like on paper and more thoughtful on paper about how you ch- pick the perfect school for your child. And to Piper's point, it is our job as community and as parents to hold them accountable for it. Yeah, everything on the website looks and sounds like exactly like the stuff that, you know, we protested for. Mm. So um, now it's our <laughs> job like as, as citizens to to be like, okay, well, I got this in black and white mm-hmm. and I need to make sure that this is what's, how it's actually going down. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so VD came, he gave us the low, you know, the lowdown on and everything. It sounded incredible. Um, and so, yeah, I, I got to be honest, though. I haven't seen it. Like, I haven't seen it. But it's about to be a new school year. So yes. I'm going to be, you know, mentoring. I'm mentoring a lot of schools and things. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be going around. Seeing. You get some get some inside looks. I'm going to see, like, what it looked like. Okay, so another one is um, 
high quality teaching, not high stakes testing. So it's pretty much the same thing we just talked about. Got you. Um, wraparound supports. So we already know that in our schools, you know, we, we got to have a wraparound supports, like, you know, the healthy food, mm-hmm. um, child care, you know, extra snacks and food, like support for parents, maybe food pantry, yes. um, job skills training. Like we need we do need all those things. Right. Those are things that we actually need. Keep it coming. Yeah. You know, but, but not in lieu of our voice. <laughs> Understand. OK, I'm with it. All right. There's so, the balance. Uh, then there's um, it says positive discipline practices such as restorative justice. So, you know, what's interesting What's that I have some friends who say they don't believe in restorative justice. Hey, break it down from what do those words mean? Restore well, of justice? Restorative justice. Restorative justice. Is pretty much based on a nonviolent um, way of dealing with conflict resolution. Okay. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process. It's a very specific process that happens. And part of the process is um, this, uh, there's a mediator. The mediator meets, right, like with each party okay. ahead of time, gets the whole story like this happened, that happened from both sides. Then, well, first of all, the mediator has to get permission from each side or agreement from each side that they're willing to enter into a restorative okay. circle. Okay. Doesn't so once bad. they once they so let's say like if there's a fight, you know, anything that's not like murder. Okay. okay or rape. No, okay. we're not talking murder or rape. But we're talking fights. We're talking, you know, this kind of thing. Okay. okay. So which happens in schools, mm-hmm. right? Um, disrespects of various forms. So first they get the, the buy in. If they don't buy in then there won't be a circle and people just will suffer consequences. Right? Understood. Okay. But if they but if they get the buy in, they agree to come to the restorative circle, then what they do is they have a conversation with each party and the parties involved. So it could be that a kid got jumped or it could have been a one on one fight or it could have just been them screaming, matching at each other. It could be a, a young person and a teacher mm-hmm. or a young person and, and, and an administrator or security or whatever. Right. So wherever the conflict is. Is getting both sides of that. And then they write it down. So let's say, like, they spend one week with this side and they talk to all the people involved, all the people who witnessed it, all the people who were involved in the fighting, all the people who instigated it, all the people who suffered, right? Mm -hmm. Then you go to the other side and you get all of that information. Then you bring, then you analyze it and you come up with a sort of analysis of where you see the miscommunication has happened. You see what I'm saying? I like that. So you see you see where people are not communicating. You see the gap. In communication. Got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not in who's right and wrong. But just within the, the communication. Where the communication gap. Got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So then you bring the parties together. Mm-hmm. This is the first time they come together after the analyzation is done. Mm-hmm. Okay. With... The other people, mm-hmm. their support systems or the people that witnessed it or whatever. And then that's where you start to go off of your paper. You hand everyone the paper. Mm-hmm. The paper has 
both accounts plus your assessment. So the conversation that you're having is based off of what's on a piece of paper. It It's supposed to eliminate having a conversation like, you said this, uh-uh, I ain't say that, but you said. It's supposed to eliminate that. It's getting everything out there on the paper. So the mediator then says, you know, let's say if you and I had an issue, mm-hmm. it's like, well, Brittany, do you understand when you said this, how that would have impacted Piper negatively? Now, at this point, you have a chance to kind of see the other person's point of view. I'm with it. Right? You can choose to or not to. Sometimes they go well. Sometimes they don't. It's not a perfect. It's not like a, woo, this fixes everything. But what they've done is they've implemented restorative justice into all the schools now. And so now they're teaching it. So who's doing that? Are there psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors? In. Subcontracted company? In the real world. Everyone's supposed to learn it. Okay. Um, because it's mandated, that means that teachers are supposed to learn it. That means Oh, uh, you said that. Okay. That means that administrators are supposed to learn it. Okay. But what's actually happening is that work is being contracted out. Okay, I figured. Because the counselors are overwhelmed. We have some schools that have no counselor and like fifteen hundred kids. We have some schools that have one counselor. And 1,500 kids. At at, at one school where I volunteer, and I won't say the name, one of the young people told me that the teacher, this comes out of like a sixth grader's mouth, that the teacher, I'm sorry, the counselor made her um, say that, you know, something was her fault when she, she felt it was an administrator's fault. And instead of going through this process the counselor said that they refused to put her through the process that it was easier just to write her up so she could just be in trouble and be punished and get suspended because she said she just didn't have time to do the counseling that would be necessary to get some sort of resolve (laughs) and so here we have now a young person in the sixth grade who now has on their record this offense, right? Because they put it as a violent offense. But because you have to also understand now with these new classifications of everything, mm-hmm. what they're calling violence. <laughs> because before, there's like a list of like, right, what's violence. Mm-hmm. But now the list is way broader as to what is considered violence. And so n- now that they have these police and these schools, it, everything that you do is going to be ticked as a piece of criminalization. So I guess in 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 a sense, having this this nonviolent restorative justice practice, in essence, is supposed to help relieve a lot of um, going to the um, the security and the counselor and having retaliations. And you understand what I'm saying? And yes. reduce the amount of violence. That's yeah. what it's supposed to do. Now, I can tell you, I've gone through the training myself. I've I actually ha- have been trained um, through some intensive restorative justice um, training. So I'm actually trained as a mediator. I've actually had to be in a situation and be mediated, like with 5E, 
with my other partner, like we, we actually had to go through mediation. So I've been on both sides of it. T- tell me, tell me about where you mediated it. Well, and, and that's more now when it's done correctly, right? That's going to be a community process. It shouldn't be. Now, this is my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be up to one person. You see what I'm saying? You think there should be That's two or too three punitive. people? Yeah. It's too punitive. It, it should be a community process. It The way it works best is when you have a mediator, mm-hmm. and the mediator gets a chance to have a conversation with the principal, and the mediator gets buy-in from the principal that that the process that's going to take place is going to be the least punitive I, I, you know ideally not punitive at all mm-hmm. but we know the schools love punitive systems so but that is going to be the least punitive and that that we're entering into this to create solutions not to punish people so for me it works best when you've got that buy-in from the principal not just the two people. Not just the two people you're mediating. No, you never want to do that. So you got the buy-in from the principal, and then you get the buy-in from the counselor, right? Mm-hmm. So if you get the buy-in from the principal, get the buy-in from the counselor, then you want to work to get like you know have the conversation with like a teacher that they trust, that the young person trusts. I love that. You know, I mean, if that's because if that that's available, for, that made it real for me. You if that's I mean? available, a teacher that you trust and love knows you because they've, they've held you accountable before. But, you know, I like that. Right. I love that. So but I'm saying if that's available. Understood. To you, Understood. Um, you want to do the best you can to have conversations with if it's available, the parents. OK. Because what happens, especially in fights, parents get emotional because you put your hands on somebody's kids. Now, the parents, they want to harm. They want to see this child harmed. Right. And you it's interesting. But the parents are like, hey, that kid hit my kid. I want some harm to happen to that kid. Come on. We seen world star videos. We know what's up. So when it when it happens at its best, everybody has had a conversation. OK. There's a conversation with every adult that's involved in this person's life or these people's lives mm-hmm. that they trust because the it. key is that they trust. Right. Um. And then, you know, having having the buy-in of the community, that the community is gonna work to have resolution. Because what you're what you wanna do is when you have restorative justice, you're restoring, right, the relationship because harm has been caused. Because you wanna make sure that people not gonna go through this whole process, then come back and then get a gun and then be like, I don't care. We cause in a different type of process, when you just go to the principal and the counselor, people be feeling some kind of way because now they're in trouble. You didn't got me kicked out of school. I'm going to get you. Thanks. So with the restorative practices, it works to reduce the harm all around. And it works to bring everybody into the conversation, everybody into the situation so that it's an entire community working to make sure that this is restored. And, and it's not a quick thing is not like we had a meeting that was done the restorative justice checking the box has yeah. can take months i believe that it and can it can take months between interviewing between getting agreements between getting people together 
And it may not be like a circle. Well, I like that. It you, might be multiple interviews mm. and multiple circles. I like that you're using the word community. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, I mean, that has, those are the type of, that's the type of language that has to be used when you're restoring. No, that's not, no, I am speaking I, in ideal terms and when it works best. I'm with you, but. And the reason the I say is that great. is because when you go into certain schools, they don't do it that way. Understood. Like you, I, I, and I could see why, you know, when, yeah. you know, so. Because but, people want to have power. And they and and they, and and they want to enact their power, and they want to be able to kick people out of school, or by default, like you just mentioned. <laughs> first of all, under resourced, mm-hmm. you're under resourced. You don't have the time to follow the process. Yeah, you see that in all trades, right? Yeah. And so, what was the last one? Oh, transformational parent and community engagement. And so, for me, mm-hmm. when I work with youth, like when I had my youth program with Five E. Um, that was the main thing was parent engagement, parent involvement. The main way to have healthy education is you got to have parent involvement, guardian involvement. Like for when I had my youth program, our parents were cooking the breakfast, making a lunch for not just their kids, all the kids. They would come and do meal preparation, healthy meal preparation as a workshop for the kids and we would eat the food we would go to the grocery store uh as a part of the workshop how to shop (laughs) at the grocery store for the healthiest things available how to how to you know budget to you know buy the things that you need um healthy nutritious meals food preparation menu planning um parents would be right there we would troubleshoot figuring out like how to pay for things we wanted to go on field trips or we wanted to you know, buy certain supplies or we wanted to enter certain contests. All this stuff costs money. The parents would be like helping brainstorm how we're going to get the money to do these things, who we can call, getting sponsorships, getting. So now that's just with me with a private, you know, mm-hmm. um, summer youth program um, and weekend mentoring program. But even when I do stuff in schools, like when I go into schools, <laughs> I work with mostly 11th grade, but when I go into schools, the very first thing I do is I tell all the kids, like, I want to meet your parents or I want to talk to your parents. And the first thing the kids are like, why? They don't want to talk to you. (laughs) And it's funny because, like, I'll get on the phone with a parent and they'll be like, what the fuck you want? And I'll be like, oh, um, yeah. Oh, I am an adult. Your child is 16. I'm going to be spending a significant amount of time with them. I just wanted you to know who they'll be spending time with. I'll be mentoring them. I'll be spending this amount of time, hours. They'll be here after school, Saturdays. I don't give a fuck. long as they ain't in trouble, don't call me with no bullshit. They in some program. I don't give a fuck. If they ain't dead and ain't nothing wrong with them, don't call me. And I just be like, okay. But perhaps when they're not in trouble, I can talk to you too. And let you know how great your child is and let you know how awesome they are. <laughs> and I perhaps some of the stuff that we're doing, you want to be involved in. You might want to come. Some of the stuff is fun. That is a great narrative for those who give back and wonder how they can engage the parents. That was beautiful. You got to engage the parents. That, just try. because the just parent try. doesn't want to be engaged. There, There's a process in that. There's things that there's I I'm, there's things that I don't like to be engaged in at first. But I am thankful for those who still made me engaged. 
So that's that's a powerful narrative. Well, I guess also too, a lot of parents are feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? It's like they got two, three, four, five, six kids sometimes, and if three this jobs, kid, three jobs, or maybe they're not working, or maybe it's you don't know what's going on in these homes. Okay, don't. and they like okay, Shanquisha's sixteen, she grown. I ain't got to worry about her no more. She, I done trained her off, and she need to do what she need to do. And so a lot of times that's the mentality. Whereas you go into the suburbs <laughs> and these kids are sheltered <laughs> until they're like 30. I was just about to say 35. You, know you said 30. So. Yeah. So, but, you know, um, and we get it. You know yes, what I'm saying? Like we, we get it. So for me, you know, and looking at the suburbs, these parents are completely invested and involved in their kids in every single thing that they do. because they've been trained how to be for 10 generations. And not only that, but they have the ability, right? They have the resources. They yes, have they the do. resources and the ability. And if and if they're not the person engaging the kid, they got money to pay yes, the top notch. They do to make sure that the nanny or whoever is engaging the kids. So for me, we just have to help parents um, be be more invested and involved in their kids. And that, like, I had one parent. She used to call her son stupid and dumb, mm-hmm. like right in front of him, you know, and things like that. And I you know, would work to have different conversations with her. And I remember one day I, um, we were sitting on the porch and she made some lemonade and we were just kicking it. And I was just asking her, you know, just like about all the awesome things about her son. And she was telling me she ain't know nothing about that. And I just was let her know all these great things about him, you know. And she was like, what? Who? Really? <laughs> That's you dope. know? Yeah. And, you know, I looked for the right opportunity and I asked her, I said, what do you think is the impact of every time you tell him that he's stupid? Coming from And she was like, what? What is you talking about? I was like, I don't know. I'm just wondering, like, do you think that you saying that has any impact on him? And she was just like, nah. He know I love him. He know I just be saying, he know he know that. But, I mean, and maybe, you know, whatever. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. I just feel that sometimes it's just important to, like, not shame folk, but, like, just ask questions. What do you, what do you think the impact of this is? Or what do you think the impact of that is? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, will they change? Maybe yes, maybe no. But if nothing else, they'll think about it. Yes. You understand what I'm Planting saying? The seed. They'll, they'll think about it. Now, another thing um, that I think is important is, you know, a lot of young people don't have actual parents, right? The grandparents are raising them. They're in a foster care situation. They have guardians. Like, so it's also, too, a lot of times our young people need support. And a lot of the people that are helping to raise them need support because this young person isn't in a so-called traditional mommy daddy type of you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. if that is traditional but they're not in a in a home where there's two reflections of themselves you understand what i'm saying yes they're they're they might be in a home where they might not be related to nobody around there um one of my young people told me her grandma don't want her there you understand what i'm saying so every day 
this little 16 year old is going home because this is where she lived. It's her home, which is supposed to be your sanctity, your safety, your sanity, your sanctuary. But when she goes home, her grandma gives her the flux because she's like telling her every single time, why are you here? I hate you. I hate that you're here. The little girl's mom is in prison. Is like, why are you here? Nobody likes you. You're a burden. I like these kids. And this is coming from the young lady. She liked the other one. And you can understand, you know, people say, oh, she might misunderstand. Don't nobody misunderstand that other people are being treated. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Better than you. We had a we had a exercise once and she almost went into a traumatic down spiral because the facilitator that came and did the exercise did this like family tree exercise. And she was rebelling. And she was giving attitude, and I was like, hmm. When I went to her, I said, well, you don't want to do the family tree? And once we got into it, she was like, I don't know my family. And my grandma don't like me, and my mom's in prison, and I don't know anything about my family, myself, my mom, my heritage. Like, I don't know. So that was a trigger, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where in a, another situation that would have been empowering, like, oh, I'm going to do my family tree, right? So we just have to really look at, what types of support do our young people need and what types of support do the people that are raising them need? You understand what I'm saying? So that's literally what that kind of speaks to. But anyway, getting back to the Detroit uh, independent freedom schools movement. I love it. That's kind of a lot of the stuff that we do is, um, you know, a lot of the, 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 with our structure, it's mostly structured by community members that are at the table mm-hmm. making all the decisions. And many of those community members are parents. And many of those parents' children are in the school. In, well, it's not a school. Are in the program. Understood. And so we do, we do stuff around. It's a around. community. It's a community. And we teach, um, like, 3D printing, That's African cool. drumming, um, political education. We also have for adults. Um, freedom School Adults. We have Freedom School for Adults on Saturdays as well. And we have a task force. We have a Freedom School Task Force, which is where you could come, like if you want to get involved, you could come on um, Saturdays. You could bring your kids and they could attend Freedom School. And then you could come on over to the task force meeting. Or sometimes we do Freedom University where different people from the community do like political education with us. Okay, so... Oh, and Mondays as well. Mondays we do meetings from 7 p.m. to um, 8.30 at the Cass Commons. I would love to come and check this out. You want to come? Okay, yeah, I'll say that again. Uh, so, wait, let me get this one. Does there this one go. have uh, information on it? Yes. So, if you want to get down with Detroit Independent Freedom Schools, you can email diffs, D-I-F-S, 313 at gmail. Um, and that's to contact us by email or you can go um, to our website and our website is freedomschools.info or you can go to our Facebook and on Facebook we're um, diffs313, D-I-F-S-313 and um, also on um, Instagram and Twitter we're diffs313, D-I-F-S-313 and so like I said at the um, Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. We're there every Saturday from um, 10 a.m. to 12.30. We teach the youth. We also... Um, so if I, just, if I was a youth and I wanted to go and I heard this, I got, could I just, like, pop up on a Saturday? Bring your parent if you're under 18. Okay. 
okay. to sign you up because you know Understood. consent. Yeah, but um, yeah, you come and uh, parents just register. It's free. You know what I'm saying? Um, and like I said, we also have it at the Shrine of Black Madonna on Saturdays. Nice. And we also have it um, at uh, Con, K-A-N, bookstore in the North End. That's for the teens. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like I said, we do classes. We do tutoring. We um, have mentoring with folks from HBCUs. We um, field trips. We bring in people. We have field trips. We have the task force. We organize, like I said, every Monday at Cass Commons. Uh, 4605 Cass Avenue. We meet every Monday at 7 to organize if you want to come to one of our meetings or Saturday mornings from 10 to 1230. We also meet the task force or the university if you want to learn about how to opt out of these tests. If you want to learn about how to fight against this third grade reading law. Um, if you want to learn any history <laughs> or any political education about what's going on, how schools are paid for, that's another one. I'm going to bring Russ Bellano here and talk to us about um, the economics of education. That is deep. So yeah. I can't speak to it because I just can't speak to it. So I would love that because I was looking at some videos and I was seeing just even how they account. The numbers that they throw out is just mm-hmm. gibberish. Okay. Like those ain't even real numbers. All right. So we'll do that. We have to do that because we need people in this fight. So, yeah. Um, and I guess I guess that's it. I guess we can like cut it off like right there. We've, we've talked enough. I think so, too. I just want to do a couple shout outs. You know, next uh, next week is is where it's at. Back to school, Detroit. Yeah. So I just want to shout out to all my black educators out there that are in it to win it. And that love to see the youth grow and understanding that paying it for it is powerful. It is key. No matter if you're not a technical educator, see yourself as that because the youth are watching you. And I want to give a shout out. You know, we talked a lot about uh, pre through third grade. I do want to shout out a um, program that is not for that age level just because the older that these kids get, the uh, less money that these nonprofits receive for older, older, older kids, let's say 16 through 18. So I want to shout out to Midnight Golf that's going to be starting yeah, up. Yeah, they're awesome. Yes, yes, yes. 12th graders. I uh, love that program. Shout out to you guys. Um, and I hope you guys have a good year. And that's all I have. Piper, thank you for this. This is, you know, like I tell you, bridging the gap. Yeah. So, I mean, shouts out to everybody that's going back to school, back to college, starting school, starting college, starting high school. Shouts out to you. Um, Shouts out to all the teachers, educators, administrators, tutors, family members that are supporting people that are in school, everybody paying for school, everybody, you know, that's got to get their school clothes. Um, Here's some uh, school clothes karma for y'all. We hope that y'all have the money to pay for y'all school clothes. Uh, I know that's a, that can be a burden as well. So we're going to send you good karma. You can afford those school clothes. Yes, you can. Yes. All right. So, and then um, listen to the Piper Carter podcast. Um, email us. What's your email, Brittany? Brittany at DetroitIsDifferent.com. If you are an educator, hit me up. Let's talk about some things. What do you want to hear about? Let us know. And Piper at DetroitIsDifferent.com. I want to know everything about you. I'm nosy. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, Detroit is different on Instagram. Detroit is different on Twitter. Detroit is different on Facebook. And Piper Carter, everything. Yeah. All right. Peace, y'all. Peace. You're listening to the Piper Carter podcast on the Detroit is Different podcast network.